Hi, everyone. David here with the No Code and Code podcast. Today, we have Chris Obdemon, who's the founder and CEO of Betty Blocks. Betty Blocks is one of the top-rated no-code platforms for enterprises. They can build web apps, mobile apps, and internal tools. And uniquely, compared to a lot of the no-code tools in the space today, they are highly scalable. You can put millions and millions of rows of data in their database without even having a great quality model set up. They're really interesting, and I'm excited to help share Chris's story with you today. Today, we're going to be going through Chris's origin story, what it's been like building a no-code SaaS product, and how Betty Box is being used and supporting its customers today. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Content Allies. Content Allies turns CEOs into thought leaders through content marketing. They interview you via video and then turn that interview into video clips, articles, podcasts, and social posts. They are the team that powers all the content that we do here at Bridge and this podcast that you're listening to. You can learn more and reach out to them at contentallies.com. Now let's dive in with Chris. Chris, how's it going? Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? And thank you for having me. Yeah, so we, we were talking before the other day, and uh, I, I was thinking the whole time, like, we should record this podcast because your story is so, um, so interesting. You're, you're approaching a, uh, a part of the market with enterprise that a lot of the no-code space, um, a lot of the no-code users um, don't really get exposure to. Um, so it, it, uh, I really wanted to dig into that and then um, also just hear from like the enterprise perspective how people are seeing the product. But um, before, before even that, what's, uh, do you think you kind of go through like your background and the founding story? What, what inspired you to start Betty Blocks? Yeah, sure. Of course. Uh... Yeah, I started entrepreneuring um, straight out of university uh, a long time ago. Um, um, and uh, we started, so I founded the company together with my brother, Tim, and we started in custom software development. I was the developer and uh, my brother was more the operations and finance guy and, and whatnot. So we were pretty successful in what we were doing. Um, and that meant that we, um, we needed to uh, improve our internal software as well. And uh, me and my colleagues back then, so we need to build internal software because we were a software development company. So um, we started doing that. And then uh, my brother was a little bit annoyed because we weren't moving fast enough. Um, so um, what, uh, what happened is that he asked, uh, he asked uh, me, so can you just change this stuff so I can do more myself? So this is like more than 10 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. So in a way, he was the first no-coder uh, um, uh, in, our, in our surroundings uh, somewhere. Uh, and that inspired us to, to build uh, Betty Blocks or maybe to increase the current tooling that we have or expand the current tooling and then make sure that we create something that is usable so, by somebody who doesn't have any coding background at all. Uh, sure, he loves to build software and even back in the days, he loved to build it, but he was pretty solid about not learning a lot of programming language. Um, so that's, um, that was our second adventure. That's how it more or less started. Uh, and what we noticed is that that was not only something that we internally experienced, but that a lot of our clients that we had back then, custom software development clients, had the same urge and the same need. So that's how we started uh, in terms of Betty Blocks, building a no-code platform. Um, yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and it took, um, took us some time, but uh, that's where, and, and here is where we are right now, of course, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. Yeah, that's cool. So you, so when you were getting your initial customers, were were you just selling Betty Blocks to the people that you already knew, the people you already um, were, were supported by? 
Yeah, so it was more of a transition period. So um, when we had a current client um, and we already build an app in, in, let's say, traditional coding, we said, well, can we build this new tool with our own tool uh, and show you that we can do it faster uh, than normally? I said, okay. Uh, so that was with current clients and new clients. We try to reel them in with something that wasn't officially called low or no code back in the days, but we just called it more rapid application development. Um, and yeah, and that's that's how we reeled in the first client. Uh, but from the first moment, people really were attracted to the whole concept of, of doing, so, if only just a little bit of the software development project themselves. And that's where we started. And then we moved more and more towards 100% no code and just enabling, as we call it, citizen developers as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, I've heard a lot. There are a handful of companies that have started that way. And it seems like everyone's so focused on venture capital these days to start and then it either works or it doesn't. But if you, if you already have customers that you can just get feedback from really quickly like that, and then also you're, you're able to kind of bootstrap things, it seems like a, a pretty great way to start if you can do it. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, there are a lot of upsides, some downsides to it as well that I can explain. Um, so our first initial clients were not really our external clients, but was just was us. So we were just using our tool and and making sure that we were more productive first. Um, and that was was really interesting because that didn't really always add up at the beginning. Sometimes you're really struggling with your own product because you're building it and using it at the same time, which is kind of hard. Um, but uh, later on, um, you have more people outside our company. That was the second phase where we really sold it as a platform uh, after the initial period. And, uh, and we noticed that people were 100% able to build something without our help, which was just awesome to start with because you built something and now this person built this app and he didn't, he didn't call us for any help. Yeah. It was really, really amazing, amazing, uh, amazing period. We're kind of used to it right now, but sometimes I'm still really amazed when I see what people build with it and how creative they are. So it still is very cool to see. Yeah, I'm sure when you guys were using it yourselves, that that had to be great for just r- removing any kind of like hairs in the product or little little issues that maybe would be annoyances that, that a customer wouldn't mention if if you just built it for them and then said, "Hey, well, you know, which, what do you think?" They they may not mention certain things like. Like, um, I mean, geez, Jesus, how you like order the buttons or something like that, or how many clicks it takes to do a certain action. They, they may not say, oh, it takes too long to, to, you know, drag a block on the page or like set up my data model. But if you're using it yourself, then, then that's, you know, dog fooding and and you can just refine the product that much faster, I imagine. Yeah, it's totally true. So it really helped us to fine tune the process that we had and make sure that that was like very smooth. We yeah, implemented keyboard shortcuts and stuff like that. Uh, but there was a downside to it as well. If you don't test it uh, enough on, let's say, outside your own uh, audience, as in your own colleagues, uh, then you are really in a tunnel vision and uh, you're really uh, optimizing one flow. And the first moment we started recording, um, uh, the users of our platform on our platform, we were kind of in a shock uh, and to find out that people were using a totally different flow. And it was really enlightening for us, of course, to find out. So the, um, it was initial, initially was a great start, but then after it, it took us some time as well to really uh, make it more product-led, uh, the growth and the development, 
make it more user user led to make sure that you find it the that you that you not only optimize for your own flow but just make sure that it's generally yeah you don't build you don't build something that's too narrow at the start where you kind of restrict yourself to only a certain type of user or a certain use case yeah yeah exactly yeah. so there was a big advantage but there were some downsides as well but yeah that probably is is uh, is the case for every every scenario so yeah it seems like that's probably a something that every SaaS founder will deal with, a similar type of thing. Um, so who are the initial customers that you guys were building for? Were, were you going kind of like down market, more consumer originally, or were you just enterprise right out of the gate? I know you guys are enterprise right now. Yeah, we, we weren't really out of the gate. So there's, of course, a definition discussion around enterprise. But we were definitely focusing on larger clients from the start. So we never had... a at independent professionals or um, or uh, or an SMB focus, uh, we had some, um, but that was just more because we uh, received inbound leads from that end and stuff like that. Um, our focus was always to make sure that you build, let's say, a bigger application the no-code way. If you look at the no-code world, there are a lot of tools where you can really simple and really fast build a simple mobile application. Just drag some stuff on there, ready-made stuff. And if you stay within that zone, then you're good to go. But our initial thought was always to make sure that you could build almost anything that you can imagine. So that means bigger and more complex applications from the start. Um, And that was because we had that client base from the start as well. So it's all about focusing and and finding the right target audience there. Uh, That takes some time as well. But our focus was always on those little bit bigger applications so they're not ERP systems, or they're not only form-based applications as well. So there was always a UI or some branding to it, which needed to be highly optimized. So that's where yeah. we started. Yeah. How do you think growing the growing the platform that way versus if you went consumer would have been? I think it would be really different. So if you look at other players in the in the field, um, a lot of them are focusing on enabling independent professionals or just professionals inside organizations to build something fast. So that means that you're always focusing on, uh, on, on, on individuals somewhere. Um, and you, have a, you need to have a very different strategy. You need to build a, a, an, um, um, an audience from the start. You need to build an ecosystem, uh, a community from the start uh, because you need volume um, because your pricing is different as well. Uh, your platform needs to have different features. Um, so it's really funny. So when we started calling ourselves no-code, don't really remember when it was, but five or six years ago, as I would just guess right now, uh, there was there were the initial response that we got was, there's no such thing as no-code. You should always use code somewhere because you can't really do it without code. And we were like, yes, you can. Just try it. And of course, no, you can't build anything, but you'll be surprised with what you can build with, with, uh, with our no-code platform. Um, so right now, the no-code definition is, is, is a little bit more ambiguous, and, and, and that's when, that's when and, and we talked about it before. That's why we are more enterprise no-code. It means that you have a different audience. And that, that's, that's how we have always been set up. And we like the other players as well, but we never see them in any competition. They probably don't see us as well. Different pricing, different strategy, which is fine. Some yeah. products might look alike, uh, of course, uh, because at the end, it's still software development. 
Yeah, yeah. Looking at, I was looking at your demo uh, before we jumped on this call. Was, you have like a thirty-minute demo on your website where you just go through everything, and it was really interesting um, just to see the parallels between Betty Blocks and a lot of a lot of consumer-facing software. And being, uh, if you're in the conversation of the the builders who are like independent builders, they just have no idea um, that like that a software like Betty Blocks exists because I was looking at like the UI builders and um, especially the the action builders and how you build the models and all the, the whole database. It's it's really awesome. I um I haven't seen any I haven't seen any platform out there that has like the drag and drop UI builder that seems to be nailed. The 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 models where you're you're basically like linking the tables together visually. Um, and then also the the actions where you have like a, basically a workflow diagram and you're and you're building things out that way. There have been a handful of applications that have like one of those things. Like everyone, all, all of those concepts of, concepts are out there, but I haven't seen anyone put all of them together yet. So that was that was really cool, and I was like, wow, it, if uh, if the individual no coders did see this, then um, I imagine it'd be well received. It'd be interesting to see what, what would happen. Yeah, and and uh, I, I'm very interested in that as well. So um, I'm hoping to uh, create a new uh, a demo uh, flow uh, and more. Uh, it's not really a proposition, but more an opening to that community to have them try our product. Um, we have a different uh, inflow of um, of trials right now, so we, we're we're changing that anytime soon. Uh, if people are listening to this and they love to see the platform other than the video that's on our website. Just let uh, let David know or let me know. I can make sure to uh, hook you up with uh, with a demo account or something else or just uh, uh, another trial setup uh, because we love just feedback to start with. And there are a lot of ex- experienced folks now in the no-code space that we would uh, love to get that feedback from. And I fully agree. And that is why uh, our focus has always been with, with uh, larger enterprises. And for that audience, you need all three of the uh, the portions there of the three of the the, the the features that you just mentioned, and I, I would like to add one, and that is integrations as well, which is more or less part of that action builder, uh, but that is really important as well. And you see with other platforms, you see integrations as well, but those are mostly just built in or very limited. So if you just use them as they are, and most of them are really social connected, like Twitter and maybe uh, HubSpot and, and other just SaaS platforms, but when you're in enterprise, you need to connect with this legacy system, which has been around since the seventies, or I don't know how long, uh, and we needed to cope with that as well. And, and we nailed that as well. So that is more the fourth feature that, that we see our platform in. So it's building a great UI, uh, storing it in a database or in an external database, uh, that's data, then creating flow actions. And then the fourth one is, is integrations. And I think that's really important. Uh, that uh, that you nailed that as well, and there's some cool features coming up as well, and we're doing a partial UI of, uh, overhaul. So there's even more cool stuff coming. Yeah, I imagine integrating into these legacy systems for enterprises is like its own beast. Uh, I can only imagine what that looks like. So there's probably so many variants of systems, and geez, um, I, I tried integrating a SOAP API once, and it was with like a PD, PDF docs, and I was like, man, I never want to do this again. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. Not, file file system, a file a file based database somewhere, which has absolutely no 
web connection whatsoever and 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 we can connect to those nowadays as well so wow uh, and, and that is a uh, yeah and that is pretty uh, low level stuff so it's hard to call it really no code you don't need to code but you really need to to crack your mind and make sure that you uh, uh, that you understand what's happening so that so that's why so we see three personas you have the citizen developer which is the person just maybe in a business department doing sales somewhere who needs an application somewhere. Uh, that person starts building an application. Then the application becomes a little bit bigger. Uh, then you want somebody who really um, has a full-time job in building a no-code application. So that's probably you, uh, David, the no-coder. Uh, yeah, then you yeah. have persona, which is the pro-coder. That is somebody who is, uh, has experience with doing actual coding. So he really knows how to structure things. And all these three personas combined, we try to facilitate all three of them. That, that's what really makes a great application um, in the enterprise, of course, because at the end, if you're just a no-coder, a lot of stuff you can do yourself as well. But if you really want to structure something that is future-proof, you probably want to have this pro-coder have a look at it, who's in your same organization, and just only as a seal of approval, perhaps, to say this is correctly set up. Um, because there's a lot of politics involved with, with software development and well. So if you're just building this one app for yourself or for a smaller audience somewhere directly on the internet, but if you're inside this big Fortune 500 company somewhere, it means that you're building it. That means that you need to persuade IT. That means that you need to persuade this IT architect that you need to get budget here and there. It's a, it's a totally different dynamic. Not a dynamic that we always <laughs> love to work with, of course, because sometimes you just want to have a go at it, just build great stuff. Uh, but we need to work with that as well. So uh, that is part of the the enterprise uh, uh, aspect of it as well. Yeah, of course. It, it seems like a lot of people in operations teams, they see tools and they get super excited about them. They'll they'll try them out, they'll use them. And then, then the question is, how do you get engineering on board? And that's like its own whole hurdle. And if there needs to be any like integrations that have to happen right off the bat, then then you're looking at you know getting getting the uh, basically like the install on um on, on like the engineering backlog potentially at least if it's an on-prem solution and um just kind of all this all this friction with that and if yeah if the engineering team isn't on board then it's just um pretty tricky I'm in, I'm in a handful of situations like that right now working with clients where um it is kind of like a negotiation with like how the no code's going to work how the code's going to work how the systems get integrated and um. Yeah, because then, you, then you, um, in some of the systems, you'll have the the no coders uh, writing SQL queries, which you know is, is code. But if you're only writing SQL queries, but you have like a UI drag and drop builder, then it's a little easier. You should call it low code. But um, yeah, it, being able to access like the production databases is is its whole whole separate conversation. Um, yeah, I'm curious how how do those conversations usually go with you and Betty Blocks where it, is it usually like someone on the operations team that finds Betty Blocks and then then you have to convince engineering to take it on? Yeah, so both happens. Um, when we enter the organization by the business end, it's probably something that you just described. So we have more or less the same struggle as well sometimes is that when you get in via the business route, that means that you're always, uh, you're always one step behind. Uh, you're always needing to convince, you always need to convince the IT department. Uh, they didn't invent it. They didn't okay it. So you're a threat just to start with. I understand it as well because they have a lot of problems on their end. They have this entire business department using these new no-code tooling, building stuff 
introducing risks here and there, creating shadow IT. So that is a big thing as well. Um, but then the fun part that we offer is that we can persuade the IT department that we have uh, enterprise-ready tools to help them to govern all of this, to make sure it's uh, secure. So the moment there is an opening to discuss it, the, the business route is, is a good one as well. But what we see happening more and more, and it's quite common nowadays, is that people are, so IT departments and CIOs are proactively looking for uh, no-code tooling, enterprise no-code tooling, or low-code tooling. Um, so we get a lot of RFPs as well, where, where organizations request uh, uh, request proposals, of course, from different vendors, and um, and that is happening more and more. So organizations are strategically choosing to uh, to embrace no codes, and they pick one platform. Sometimes they pick several, and then they create this whole program around it. And that's more or less where we are right now. That we help uh, bigger brands to uh, to create. Uh, no code or citizen development uh, uh, programs. Interesting. So you're seeing the engineering, the engineering leaders that that want to do this and they're proactive about it, and then it's an easier sell, I imagine, if you can differentiate yourself from the competition. Yeah, and I think what, and I'm not sure uh, how, what your experience is, but what I notice is that when the companies are a little bit smaller, or you're in more in a startup setup or a scale up setup. Uh, the engineering team and uh, um, uh, the uh, the advisory around it is really pragmatical uh, and really uh, knows how to do development themselves as well. So you're more in a low-level trenches debate, uh, just debating what, what car brand is the best, right? So there's no real way to decide which brand is better than the other. So it's a hard discussion. But if you go a little bit more, and that's, that's a plus for us, if you go a little bit more to, towards enterprise, um, you have somebody who is really, his task is to create strategies for uh, companies. And the end result of that strategy should be a better company. So you're not really in a technology debate that much. Um, so I, I, see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of difference there. Sometimes we are involved with startups as well. And then you're in discussions and I'm like, well, how come how come big brand A doesn't see this as a problem and you as startup C see this as a problem? You should focus, and I know that you agree with that, on speed, getting your product to the market, test it with your audience, and uh, focus a little bit less on this big, uh, perfect world, ideal world of technology. Um, just rely that rely on the fact that other no-code vendors and us, that no-code vendors can build great tools where you can rely on as well. So... But there's there there are a lot of steps ahead uh, in that in that area. That's interesting. So you see the startup uh, potential customers, I guess, is being idealistic about what they need and just kind of uh, kind of drilling you on things that enterprise customers don't care about, and then maybe related like scalability or something like that. Yeah, it, I'm, of course, I didn't really do a study <laughs> or any research on it, but that is more my firsthand experience. Yeah. Um, and with startups, technology is, is such a, if it's a technology startup, of course, it is such a big part of what they do. It's like 80%, so 80% is software development. Uh, so if you don't start with no code and the founders don't have a strong belief there, uh, it, it can become very difficult. There's this tech, uh, the te you always have the tech founder and the more commercial founder. And if the tech founder is not up for it, it becomes more uh, a battle of opinion somewhere. So... Yeah, but yeah. I see a lot of positive stuff happening as well, more and more in that space. Uh, VCs are changing their attitude towards no code because they understand, well, 
speed is still more important. And there's always this debate about vendor lock-in and stuff like that. And you always have it with this startup who has two employees uh, and needs to prove themselves. And like, okay, maybe consider that as a problem when it becomes a problem. But yeah, I have a I have a pretty strong opinion about that right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're hearing the VCs are um, funding no-code platforms more, or just more accepting of like, hey, this company I'm funding is built on a no-code platform. They're getting traction that way. They're proving the concept. Yeah, so definitely both. So yeah. fun no-code. Yeah, so my inbox is flooded every day, to be honest, with the, with potential investment. So I'm on the lucky end of that. Uh, but um, uh, no-code is definitely booming right now. It's not only on the vendor side, but also uh, startups using it. So you're in the community that you are in and creating uh, is more or less that as well. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that any that anytime soon, this big new startup will arise, which is 100% built on, on no-code tooling. And um, it, might, it might need to find its way from maybe tool A to B, along the way as you normally do with 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 product-led startups anyway you don't build your first product off the bat you have probably have versions until uh infinite somewhere uh so the tooling is not really the problem it's the uh, it's 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 uh the people using it and making sure that it becomes uh, uh becomes a great product and of course yeah. uh, what we discussed previous as well is that of course there are some limitations with some tools so you need to pick the right tool um for the job if you want to really make it bigger, bigger. Uh, we touched the, the subject earlier as well as that sometimes are, especially in terms of databases, are some limitations there. So please take that in mind, but there are a lot of tools who don't really have that limitation. And otherwise they're always free to use ours, of course. Yeah, yeah, I've been really curious to just be able to see whichever startup does become huge on a no-code platform and then stays on the no-code platforms. and doesn't plan to migrate potentially. I mean, that, that'd be really interesting because it seems like most startups, they go in and a lot of them, at least, if, they're, if, if they have big ambitions, know that they're going to have to migrate at some point. The question is just when. Um, I'm also curious to know, like, how do you see... How would you see a potential customer like that? If like, uh, say, say it's like a prominent founder coming through, they just raised like a few million dollars. They, they basically are at the ground level and they're they're picking the platform um, you know, and this would be someone who's it, it would take someone pretty impressive to be able to raise, raise a lot of money and not have a, like any sort of platform built, but say that happened. Um, how would you see that customer where, you know, they're going to grow fast. They, and, and their, their concern is lock in. Like, what would you say to them about Betty blocks? Yeah. So uh, especially in, in context of our platform, you mean, yeah, yeah. Just if, yeah, if they're saying, okay, I, I'm interested in Betty Blocks. I we're, we're expecting to grow really fast. We see, um, you know, there's a lot of interest in the space. We have a lot of capital, but if we use a no-code tool to start instead of engineering our custom software, then we just need to make sure that we can migrate easily if we need to, or migrate pieces if we need to. We need access to the database, things like that. Like, how would you? How would you handle that conversation? And would that customer even be interest, like interesting to you? Yeah, so uh, we have a, a partner ecosystem as well. So if it's not interesting to us, for whatever reason, we have a lot of partners who do development on top of our platform who are hugely interested in a client like that. Um, I, would always, I would always try to make the, um, 
make the problem as small as possible by just drilling down to the potential problems that they see. And if they're really technical, I would, would just ask them, so what type of problems do you foresee? And one of them is always uh, performance. Um, so we always ask them, so what type of performance do you need? Give us some numbers. Um, and what we just do, we just set up a small application and then we just do a performance run. Uh, we just throw a uh, hundred thousand uh, uh, users at it and we show it show the end result. So it's just proving that you can do it because otherwise you're always stuck in this virtual discussion. Uh, and <clears throat> if it's about migrating code away or something like that, then um, it's always an architect discussion. So the first question or the first thing that we always do is probe how technical the technical guys really are because there's a lot of difference there. Uh, people who, uh, um, who think they know tech uh, at low level and who really do um, because uh, everybody knows that so we run on, on Azure or AWS or whatever. And if you're really into uh, to, uh, modern software architecture, you know that if you run on that architecture, you can always pick and choose to just say, okay, this basic thing is Betty Blocks, which runs on Azure. And I want to use this high performance part of Azure and, and, and connect Betty Blocks to it. Uh, so we would always just explain that our platform is flexible just from the start. Um, so it would not, not be that different in terms of the uh, software development, how you build it. Um, but that is also because of the nature of our platform, because we really started with complex applications from the start, as I just mentioned. That's why we're really open. So we always can connect to stuff like that. And not very much no-code tools can do that. It's too often still a very closed proprietary platform. Uh, just as an example, so if you build mobile applications on our platform, which you can do, you just use the Ionic mobile component framework, which is the most often used component framework in the world. So if you're building mobile, why is, is that not okay if the rest of the world is using it as well? So that's just an example, and, and so are other ones as well. So I would just make it small and explain and show it to them that it is possible. Uh, but I think there's, it, it, I think it really helps with the nature of our platform as well. So for us, it's probably a little bit easier discussion than for others. Yeah, that's really cool. You'll just <laughs> just uh, approach the conversation by creating an app and then just seeding it with 100,000 users or something like that. I imagine that would clear up any concerns pretty quickly. Just to you would say, it. yeah. <laughs> There are, of course, sometimes some people who don't want to be convinced, so they just throw stuff at you, but then you know where you are as well. Yeah, yeah. And local platforms, our speed of development is our primary feature. So if we can't build this very simple proof of concept for you to prove it, uh, just to prove the speed of development first and then to prove the performance, then what type of platform are we? So and to be honest, we, we really like building proof of concept as well because it's just fun to use your own platform and be fast with it. So. Yeah, uh, throw a throw a problem at us, and we'll try to fix it for you. Yeah, that has to be fun. So, when on the AWS end, are you just setting up like a dedicated server on on AWS, and then if the client needs to be able to hook it into any other Amazon service, you can you can do it that way. Is that how it works? Um, yeah, not at the end. So we are uh, as, for our technical underlyings, we are an interpreted platform, as it calls. So we don't do any code generation. We are, really are no code. So we don't do it anywhere. Um, so what happens is, is that we have, uh, our, if you run an, your application, you need a couple of services. And those services combined is the Betty Blocks cloud. And you can use our uh, public shared cloud for that. 
which by default runs on on uh, on Azure, um, which is cheaper in terms of pricing. But you can also use your own dedicated cloud, and that can run on any Kubernetes uh, compatible cloud. So most often that is still Azure on AWS uh, sometimes, but even on other ones is possible. Uh, and we just install that for you. So we just install those several services. So it's not one server. Of course, nowadays everything is more um, you know, virtualized, of course. So it's more a set of services that you use. And, and then you can run as many applications as you like, besides, of course, our license part there. But in terms of infrastructure, you can just scale infinite. Yeah, we always We always just joke so you can scale as much as Azure as Microsoft can scale. So try it out. And then you can see uh, how big you can get, which is, of course, uh, uh, pretty big. Pretty big, yeah. Yeah, I remember last time I was talking to you and I was, I was blown away by the fact that you're, you're like, oh, yeah, you could set up the data model and all your tables and hit uh, about a million rows before you have to kind of re-architect things. Is that right? Yeah. And that's just the nature of... Yeah. So we, again, we use MySQL, which is the de facto standard. More or less in terms of databases, of course, you can debate that and stuff like that. But I think it's it's one of the most used databases and it's a pretty powerful tool. Um, so we rely on that. So that means that there's no proprietary stuff there. So we can really optimize that as well um, in terms of uh, performance. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So so how large how large can you build a Bettybox application? Like say it's... Say the... Say the uh, databases architected um, in a good way. The data models architected in a good way. How, like, what's the largest someone's scaled on your on your platform to date? And then, how yeah. far could they theoretically go? So, in terms of numbers of records, some of our clients they build applications where they uh, where they have a lot of log data. So that means that if a transaction occurs or a lot of transactions like that. So. Uh, we have some of our clients runs in the billions. Um, really? so, and, and to be honest, that's not really that special because it's probably just a text field and a number field or something. And it's in one table. And then MySQL can just have just like millions and millions of records in there. And you don't really have to have that much infrastructure. Um, so and that's why it's really important to, if you compare no code platforms to see where they come from. Um, because a lot of the tooling in no-code world come from really small tooling, building it really fast, but uh, you know they are limited after that. And databases is one of the more important reasons why they are experienced as limited. And some of them don't even have databases. You always need to store it in Airtable, which sounds pretty cool, until the moment where you really need to build a proper application somewhere, and then you're stuck in, in storing all your data in a different application than the no-code application. Yeah. In terms of equations, it's pretty cool if you have this import file import and stuff like that. But yeah, there's a, there are some limits there as well. Yeah, yeah. Building everything on Airtable can be really fast to start, but man, yeah, you can you can really get yourself in a mess if you just con- continue like kicking that can down the road and not and not build everything. And I mean, even just a more scalable no code setup because of yeah, I mean, just performance limitations. Um, like row, row count limitations and things like that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a uh, database are just really important uh, just to start with. Yeah. How many concurrent users can be on Betty blocks at once? Like if, is there a, like a limit to that? And assuming that you have millions of rows in, in the database and, you know, kind of a uh, more widely used application, 
what's uh how's how does that look um yeah so there um i i really don't know the numbers there because it's it's uh i think we we just use the the natural limit of our database so i don't really know what that number is but yeah it's it's the same as as with number of numbers of record as well mm-hmm. that you just use standardized tooling which you would normally use for software development as well. There's not really, uh, there's no, no longer a comparison anymore between doing it no code or coding because it's the same underlying technology. You just build it different. Um, but I, I, I don't know the exact numbers there. Yeah, yeah. And this was con- concurrent users. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't clear about that instead of database rows. Oh, yeah. So the, the, um, uh, uh, concurrent users, it's, it's, uh, it's normally goes up to, uh, to uh, thousands or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's, uh, that is something that we that we help our clients to optimize as well, uh, because uh, that becomes more or less an infrastructure uh, uh, challenge. Very cool. So, uh, sometimes a thousand concurrent is really not that much, and it just operates normally. Yeah. And then you have hundred concurrent, and then and your application is pretty extensive somewhere, and then it becomes small, or you, it becomes slower as well. So. Um, that's why you, we always, in terms of just, we just test it. So this is the type of application, how many concurrent users, um, how many loads. So it's, 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 if it just, is it just one spike or is it just, um, is that regular? Uh, because it's really optimized for, it's really hard to optimize for spikes as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great that you'll just test whatever the use case is that, that the user, um, user has or expects to have. Yeah, yeah, and, and, but that makes it makes it fun as well in a way. Yeah, yeah. So, so what do you? How do you see yourself compared to other platforms? I guess at, at the enterprise level, like, what do you think? Why do they pick you guys versus um, anyone else? Yeah, good question. So, um, so we're for instance in the same space as where where uh, Power Apps from Microsoft is, uh, for instance. Mm-hmm. And if you compare it there, so um, it's mostly a product uh, a product uh, choice. Um, Power Apps is even a little bit more, a little bit maybe twice as expensive as well. And their product, and I'm a little bit biased, is probably at least twice less uh, feature rich and 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 finished as ours as well. Um, so um, when you're in RFPs, we always hope for a, for a, a trial or a or a, or an MVP build. Where they just ask, so if it's a bigger company, they ask us, okay, you build this application for us and show it to us. Uh, so they just, for the, the success of our platform is the most common used reason. Uh, they just see it's more simpler and more powerful. Uh, that's, the ma- that's the main reason. Uh, besides that, um, because we are focused on enterprise, what also really helps is that we have always had a focus on citizen development. So really not only allowing um, a business person somewhere to build something because that's easy said and done, but also to control and manage and govern that entire process as well. Because uh, let's say you're working in, um, in Wells Fargo or somewhere at this big corporate and you're building this application um, it's really, and you're using Power Apps, which is pretty okay. But then that application flies around somewhere and is creating this big risk as well. And we have a lot of tooling there to prevent that from happening and to control that. That's an enterprise level, a pretty important feature for us as well. Makes sense. That makes sense. You were talking about before integrations. Now that's like the fourth component of, of your platform that you're building out now. 
how built out is that? And is it in a state where you can like hook up a visualization tool to the database and just be able to write queries on top of it? And then how, how integrated would it be to, to hook it into any, any API uh, with another company? Like how, how simple would those be? Yeah, so we have a, a block store where we have a lot of API connections pre-built. So uh, a lot of them are maybe enterprise focused a little bit. So you have connections uh, to SAP systems like SAP for HANA or Microsoft Dynamics, stuff like that. Also to uh, connect to uh, data sources like, uh, um, like Airtable and other ones as well. Um, um, so at the end, it is pretty visual. Um, just if we have the pre-built block, as we call it, it's just really simple because you click on install, then you add it, you add that specific table slash model to your application, you add credentials and you're good to go. So that's pretty straightforward. Um, if you go to the more difficult type of uh, integration with a more legacy database, um, um, it is a, what you noticed in our action builder. So that's a visual representation of several steps. So the first step might be call this web service. Then you want to translate the response a little bit because it's not in the right format. Then you use it in our platform. Still no coding involved um, if you do it right. But we also have an escape hatch, as we call it. We have several low-code escape hatches. So you can even build, uh, code-wise, build a connection to an external source. So some of our clients really even have, um, uh, we have direct connection to a database somewhere because we just, at code level, in JavaScript code, we connect to the database and we just make it available in your application. So that is one of our more, uh, more important features, of course, because in an enterprise, no uh, application stands on its own. It always needs to rely on an identity server somewhere or a database a left or a web service right. Um, and we're releasing a, a new feature anytime soon there to make it even more simpler again. So that is really important in terms of roadmap for us as well. Very cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome that you guys have an escape hatch like that, as you call it, to make it so that the engineering team can come in and help or, or build some sort of custom connection that, um, that yeah, the, the company would need and otherwise would be potentially a deal breaker to even using Betty Blocks. Yeah, and, and, th and that really ties into the story that you told earlier about um, when you're in whatever company, you start with no code and then IT comes in and says, this is not okay. And those escape hatches they provide uh, enough uh, confidence uh, to, the, um, uh, to the IT folks that they know, okay, well, if everything fails, I can do my normal coding there because they have these escape hatches. And yeah. Those are important for us as well, if only just to persuade people that we are flexible enough to solve any problem that you see in front of you. Yeah, I'm sure they love those. I was also looking at your, um, at your demo initially, and I, I like the uh, UI that you have set up where you can pick the UI builder to build a page or just custom custom code it. And in this case, it's HTML. But it's it was really cool that you could just build through either path, whatever you want to. So, so you're accommodating the, the citizen developer or no coder or the, the engineer that's coming through. And in terms of priority on our platform, the, the, the no coder always comes first. Um, ease of use is, is, is most important to us. Uh, we are a no-code platform, so they are, of course, on purpose called escape hatches, and you don't yeah. use them as a normal door, right? So they are an escape hatch. So by default, you just used uh, the no-coding features, uh, but 
be really helpful. And that's why we focus on those the most as well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's probably good uh, to focus on the no-coders in this case. Um, so last question here uh, before we wrap up. What do you think uh, in 10 years the no-code and low-code space is going to look like? And how fast do you think it would... How soon do you think it would be until we see a, a large company that's built on on top of a no-code platform? Yeah, so I already see some. Um, so depends on if you... So we are a no-code platform with low-code features, and we already have uh, SaaS companies built on top of us. So they're not in the in the in the multi-million dollar companies uh, right now, but they're pretty solid companies. So they have proven success that you can build a, ro- a rock-solid company based on no-code. Um, and the, the, um, uh, uh, the way I look at it, we probably need don't need to look at let us let's say a startup building a product around it. Of course, that would be awesome as well, and that will happen over time. Um, within one or two years, it, because it probably takes time from this moment to become more successful, I'm 100% certain there will be a, a successful no-code-based company somewhere. And of course, it might not be 100% no-code, but a solid no-code founding, and then some some stuff around it, as you would normally work, because there's no 100% homogenic technology thing if you grow bigger anyway. Um, but what is more important to me is that um, within um, uh, corporates right now or just more established companies, uh, there are already a lot of important apps being built uh, the no-code way. So we have uh, core systems built on our platform, 100% no-coding involved anywhere. So that means that companies, I know one company is like 400 employees big, their main core system is a Betty Blocks platform and there's no coding there. Wow. Uh, so I think the proving is already there. It's more the acceptance and let's say the transition process that needs a little bit more. So the early signs are already there, um, but um, um, it, it needs a little bit more proving, but things are moving really, really fast right now. And, and, and you probably can, can, uh, can confirm that as well. Uh, new tooling popping up every month or so. And then I'm always a little bit estranged that they think that this will be the next tool ever i was thinking well that's what i thought eight years ago as well yeah yeah it takes time as well so you, you uh, my advice to any new coming vendor would be pick your pick your niche uh because it is already quite an established uh, place and it's really hard to to grasp the bigger audience yeah uh, but things are moving quite fast uh, a lot of cool stuff happening i'm so i go to let's say the the more it organization oriented conferences like the Gartner conferences and the Forrester conference and stuff like that. So, and over there I talk to CIOs of bigger and smaller companies. And three years ago, I need to explain what no code was and you need to do debates if it really is going to happen. And right mm-hmm. now it's like, yes, I know this no code thing. I don't know when I'm going to adapt it, but I'm going to adapt it. There's even a, a prediction. So Gartner, the tech analyst does predictions and, Copyright wise, probably not okay to quote them 100%, but they go something like <laughs> that in the near future, a large percentage, bigger than 50%, uh, will be based on no and low code tooling in terms of software development. So they expect that the bulk of software in the entire uh, business space, so from startup to enterprise, will be based on no code tooling. Um, but then again, you and I are probably a little bit biased, but let's say that Gartner is, in a, is a neutral force there. 
Um, so it is going to happen. The pace is going to be really high. Um, so if you're in IT, uh, better prepare for it, embrace it, and make sure that you create your own success. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely happening soon. I'm, uh, I'm betting on it as well. Well, thanks a ton for coming on uh, on the podcast today. This has been great talking to you about uh, about your story and just learning more about the platform, etc. Um, where can listeners keep up with you? Yeah, so uh, mostly you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I am I am on Twitter as well, but that's more uh, on personal note. Just joining some no code debates here and there. So that's <laughs> Obdam at Chris Obdam. Uh, it's O B D A M is my last name. Uh, at Twitter, on LinkedIn, same name, of course, as well. And feel free to uh, um, uh, to subscribe to our newsletter, of course, on our website. And if there's anybody listening who love to see the platform more than just the videos, and uh, I, you still have a rain check with me as well, uh, David, for a, a more personal lengthy in-depth demo, we're definitely going to fix that. And then uh, just let us know, um, and then uh, we'll make sure to uh, to provide access to the platform so everybody can give it a, give it a run and then see what they think. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Chris. You're welcome. And uh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll include links to any of the tools that we spoke about here in the show notes. To keep up with the No Code and Code conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at at underscore David Head. That's at underscore D-A-V-I-D-H-E-A-D. This podcast was created by my company, Bridge and Content Allies. I want to tell you a little bit about Bridge for a moment. I created Bridge because I don't want to see any more companies stop growing because their no-code tools stop scaling. I personally scaled a lot of these tools to the limit and migrated to code many times over. At the Y Combinator-backed startup that I founded and other teams that I've been a part of, advised, and interviewed. I want to help share the insights that I've learned over the last few years with you now. To do this, my team and I at Bridge have created a free assessment for you to get personalized insights on when your stack will stop scaling and an action plan on what to do to migrate including strategies for success, pitfalls to avoid, and new tools to use. To be clear, we're not sending you a blog post or anything. This is specific insights tailored to your exact stack, your company details, and how much traction you have. So if you're growing on no-code, I highly recommend taking this to get ahead of the curve. You can take the free assessment at www.bridge.so. scale That's www.bridge.so. S-C-A-L-E. So why is the assessment free? It's free because it helps us give back to the community, but it also helps us know which other pieces of content that we need to create, in addition to which other products, services, and features need to exist to make this no-code movement more successful. So I'll also be selecting 10 out of the first 100 submissions to set up one-on-one calls with, where you can ask me any questions that you want about how to be more successful with no-code tools. Again, the URL for the assessment is www.bridge.so. scale That's www.bridge.so slash S-C-A-L-E. And before we head out, I want to give another shout out to Content Allies for helping us launch this podcast. Content Allies turn CEOs into thought leaders through content marketing. They interview you via video and then turn that interview into video clips, articles, podcasts, and social posts. They're the team that powers all the content that we do here at Bridge and this podcast that you're listening to. You can learn more and reach out to them at contentallies.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-T-A-L-L-I-E-S dot com.